With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, and that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Sexton trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside. Oh. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media Family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Cleveland Cavaliers are riding a four-game win streak, including three straight road wins over teams with a winning record. The first time that has happened since the 1970s. Things are getting absolutely crazy right now. But before we get into that, support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. And connecting with me now, senior editor and writer at basketballnews.com and the host of the Keeping in 94 podcast, Spencer Davies. Welcome back to the podcast. Excited to be back on, man. It, it's weird because the last time I saw you was in person. So this it is was. a little interesting that we're looking at each other over Zoom again. <laughs> Having some drinks at Flannery's as one does, right? <laughs> Absolutely. No doubt, man. And I was taking them down. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to see uh, Wedding Drunk Spencer uh, in between the festivities, which was just, you know, always a fantastic time. But it's even better to have you on on the podcast, especially when things are going this well for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I want to start things off. Uh, the, the last podcast I did with Carter, uh, who is away on a work trip, he's he's just too busy for us. He's, uh, he's not committed to the Cavs like we are. Um, but we, what we were discussing were kind of our biggest surprises from this season. I, I'd like to start things off with whatever your biggest surprise is from this first quarter of the season? Uh, just in general, pretty much the com- the competition level and how consistent it's been. Uh, mm-hmm. We've seen in past iterations of this Cavs team that they'd show you flashes here and there, and then something would go awry. Maybe someone would get hurt. Um, you know, that, that actually happened this season already <laughs> with Evan Mobley getting hurt with the, the elbow. Obviously, Colin Sexton hasn't been around since the very beginning because of the meniscus tear. You know, like just like things left and right. But no matter who's been on the floor for this team, it's been consistent. It's been, you know what you're going to get out of this squad because of how hard they play. And it sounds so like simple and cliche, but you can just see it on their faces. No matter who's out there on the floor. Hell, I I can give you an example right now. Just going to the the Golden State game a few weeks back and Dean Wade looked like an all-world performer in that (laughs) game. And he was actually, you know, bodying some guys up and looked held his own against KD in that same week on the defensive end. You know, like it's it's that kind of stuff 
where it's not, it's more than just the individual right now. And everybody's bought in. And that goes from one to 15. You even see Ed Davis coming in, getting a 17 rebound game or something uh, <laughs> when, when he had to fill in for, uh, you know, Lowry marketing and Jared Allen, when he was sick and Kevin love, you know, it just goes one to 15 right now. And it's, again, it's just more about the team than the individual. Yeah. And the funny thing is like, I, I keep saying at some point, you know, they're going to have letdown games. They, they've only played two teams where they weren't the, the favorite. They've only played two teams with a losing record at the time. Uh, you're going to have a night where you play down to the level of competition. Three point variance kind of um, makes you pay for that sort of thing, but that hasn't occurred yet. And, and that's really, really weird because even when we had LeBron on the team and, and we were a contender, night to night effort you you never really knew what to expect i mean there's a reason why this team kind of uh, embraced the motto flipping the switch because come playoffs yeah that that team's hitting on all cylinders especially when Kyrie was there you you felt great about how how they were going to do and you didn't really worry about the regular season but now it, it seems like every single game matters so much and the Cavs are coming out prepared no matter who's available they're playing at a really really high level and yeah they weren't able to close against Golden State Brooklyn and Phoenix three of the best teams in the league while missing guys blow it up blow it up blow it all blow it all to smithereens (laughs) right sure they weren't able to do that but they were still competitive in those games they haven't really had any blowout losses outside of those early season ones with la and phoenix and even those games they were in it it's it's just so rare to see a team this young be this consistent and i frankly like i i struggle to know what to do with that because the examples of teams this young playing this well this early on, it's hard not to bring up any examples without sounding like a lunatic, which I, I'm usually not scared to do. But if I'm going to start comparing this to like the the OKC Thunder with Harden, Westbrook, and Durant, uh, people are going to start giving me the side eye. But I mean, w- what comparables are there? I mean, you're one and a half months into the season. You're at the quarter pole mark and things haven't changed. So that's right. what that's why I think a lot of people's hopes are up is because this has been sustained mm-hmm. and to do it for this much time to start a season. Again, you're right. I don't know the last time we saw it like this, um, you know, like the starting lineup has an average age under 22. Well, like yeah. that's absurd. The, the young players don't win in the NBA and they certainly don't play the second best defense out of any team in the league. And what about the impact of Evan Mobley? I mean, the kid's 20 years old, and they have a 13-6 and record when he's on the floor. And I don't think I've ever seen a rookie impact a team this quickly, this instinctually. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just looking at how smart he is um, on the floor. And what J.B. Bickerstaff always talks about with Evan Mobley is his ability to see a mistake and correct it in the moment. And for the next game, usually rookies, they will actually, you know, they'll have a little bit of a hard time uh, just kind of with the pressure that comes along with it. Um, Whether it's the physicality, you saw that actually last night with Montrez Harrell. Montrez Harrell tried to go at him a little bit with the shoulder. What Mm -hmm. did Evan do the next possession up? He just kept his hands up and, and made him shoot over the top. You know, it's like those like little adjustments on the fly for someone that young. And I mean, it, that's not even like, like the top thing on the team either. Like there's so many good aspects of this, this team right now. Like we could go 
on forever about Darius Garland and Jared Allen, but we could also talk about Lowry Markin and how he's been a little bit more effective defensively than we thought and actually has a pretty solid, uh, you know, deep shot. We were talking about Ricky Rubio nonstop early in the season, and he has just kind of taken like, you know, backseat on the bench, but is still playing really good ball. Kevin Love acting like he loves the game again, you know, like (laughs) it's huge. It's huge for him. Jetty Osmond, when he's not having back issues, having random 20 point games, like there's just, not one thing you can pick out about him. Like it's. I, I mean, you were just rattling on for a couple minutes, and you didn't mention Jared Allen, who's averaging twenty three and a half points, twelve point three rebounds, two and a half blocks, two point three assists on an almost eighty percent true shooting percentage over this winning streak. Like the the list of what's going well right now, it, it it's so long, and, and that's the crazy thing because there were very clearly gambles that were made coming into this season, right? You traded your one conventional three and D wing in in Torian Prince for Ricky Rubio, which addressed a major need, but there's concerns. Now, all of a sudden you are not a conventional team uh, and you have to look into things like starting three, seven footers. Uh, You traded your best defensive player for a team that was ranked 20th in defense last season, which I, I mean, there's noise in there. They, they were a better defense when they were healthy, but you traded your best defensive player for someone that was considered to be a minus defender in Laurie Markkinen. And you were gambling that, hey, we think this rookie, Evan Mobley, is going to be able to replace the role that Larry Nance Jr. had. And not only has he done that, he's playing at a higher level. Like, that is, like, I I understand it. You're banking on internal development around them. And and certainly that has paid off. And and that's helped make those gambles uh, a little, like, there's a little less weight on them. But for every single one of those things to hit early on in this season, I mean, even an optimist like myself doesn't really expect that. And and of course, there are things that haven't worked out as well, right? Like Colin Sexton uh, wasn't hitting his threes to start the season. We've seen cold starts before. He gets hurt. That's unfortunate. Uh, Isaac Okoro got banged up. Uh, He was struggling offensively uh, quite a bit early on. Uh, He's coming around now, but you know, you've you've had some struggles there. Dylan Windler hasn't stepped up in the way that I I think a lot of people were hoping. Um, But the big things, the the real kind of core foundational parts of this um, rebuild or uh, construction, renaissance, whatever you want to call it, all of that stuff is panning out so far. Yes, no question, no question. And I think it starts with with Darius. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you, man. I'm watching this game last night. I'm watching the, the the games this week, and he is just getting more comfortable. He's getting you know more poised, uh, more confident. I mean, how many times did we see him get in that in between area in the first two years of his career because he wouldn't take a three? Yeah. Or you know, like I'm seeing him just pull up from wherever now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm seeing him pull up in transition. I'm seeing him come off of those screens and take mid rangers, Chris Paul esque. I'm yep. not even kidding on that. Like coming around the screen, and now teams have to pay attention to that. And once that happens, Jared Allen's dive into the rim, or he's going to find Evan Mobley, or he's going to find someone on the perimeter. That just unlocks so much. And I'm I'm laughing watching this game last night because teams they're starting to get like frozen when he gets into that pain area or that like really close to the pain area because they don't know if he's going to lob. 
They don't know if he's going to do the floater. He disguises it so well. That's something that I've been taking victory laps on, by the way, because that was one of my first observations of the season Mm -hmm. that teams didn't know where to commit because he didn't know he was committing until the last minute. And when you're a defender and you have to make that read as Darius is making that read, that's incredibly difficult. So that happens. And now you have to worry about Jared Allen on the lob, Evan Mobley on the lob, or one of my favorite possessions from the game uh, against the Wizards last night, Darius Garland kicks it over to, to Lowry Markinen, give and go to Darius, little lob up to Jared Allen, just give, go, alley-oop. Like, these developments for Darius is something that they've been waiting for, and everyone thought, you know, he'd be a breakout candidate this year and a potential right. most improved candidate, you know. But... I think that you're just seeing it materialize now and the chemistry is coming along with Jared out like early in the season, Darius would have these pocket passes that were coming at about 120 miles an hour and going off of his knees. Like now Darius is patient enough when he gets to his spot and decisive enough and quickly decisive enough to know whether he's throwing the pocket pass to know whether he's pulling up for a mid ranger or getting to the baseline and, and slinging it to the corner. Like, these are all of the developments that we were looking for and thought were coming, but I think it's happened a little quicker in my eyes um, for him because just with this whole team, in fact, like I didn't know that it would happen this fast because we still have to think about it. You mentioned already the age of this starting lineup, but these guys still haven't played like what 40 to 50 games yet together, which makes it all the more scary. Right. And the the one change we've seen, right, like we're, we're looking to see, OK, where are the slip ups? Like, what are the changes as the season progresses? And so far, the change has been they play better together. Right. Like I, and I, I think one of the things we were all hoping for this season with Garland was assertiveness on ball. And that's been there. I think it would have been greedy to expect that assertiveness off ball to also improve to this degree, right? Like the fact that he's already developing that relocate game where he gives the ball up. Um, Zach Lowe actually highlighted a really nice play against Dallas where uh, he had a mismatch against Porzingis. He gave the ball up to love uh, knowing that he could backdoor cut on Porzingis as soon as he gave the ball up. Right. And and that created an easy floater opportunity. And, And to your credit, like you were highlighting early in the season, like the, Hey, his floater lob, you can't tell what it is until it's in the air. And and that's a really exciting, um, that's an exciting aspect of it. Did his you game. see that play last night where he did it? He went up and it was a floater and it went in. Jarrett's face, he thought it was for him. He went going up for it. It it, it fell through the hoop. And in he all fairness, him, had this he, like crazy he either disguised it so well that we couldn't tell because I am convinced he was throwing a lob there and it just happened to go in. I'm convinced he was throwing a lob and it just happened to go in. I I think that that was accidental, but you know what? Maybe he's just a magician. Maybe he is. Maybe he is. I mean, everything's definitely clicking on all cylinders for those guys. (laughs) I I mean, the fun thing is you look at the chemistry between Garland and Allen and and Garland over the stretch, uh, averaging over 23 points per game, uh, over nine assists per game over this winning streak, uh, true shooting percentage above 67 like that. That's absurd. Um, Like (laughs) that is some high level stuff, but there's like that Nash Amari chemistry between him and Jared Allen. Uh, Nice thing is to take it back to Canada. You have to absolutely have to take it back, but like (laughs) it's that level of chemistry, but then you think, okay, 
you also have this power forward uh, that they drafted in, in Evan Mobley that is doing things that we haven't seen since like a young Kevin Garnett. Like it, it's it's crazy to think what the potential of this is. Spencer, I'm going to play a game with you. If you had to guess what the net rating of Garland, Okoro, Mobley, and, Al- and Allen is this season, what would you guess? Those four, that four-man lineup? That four-man lineup. They played 104 minutes together. Okay. Uh, a net rating. I'm going to say, I'm going to go a gamble here. I'm going to say like, obviously rounding up, mm-hmm. uh, 15. Oh, you see, you, you didn't play oh, the I'm game, sure. right? You, you have to go low knowing it's going to be high. It's actually plus 15.9 in, in the 104 <laughs> minutes. They oh, not def- bad. They have a defensive rating of 86.9. The fun thing is you add Laurie Markin into those four. So the starting lineup that's played 58 minutes together, plus 17.2 net rating, uh, 100 defensive rating. So the, the defense does get uh, considerably worse when you add Laurie. It still would be league best pretty much, uh, that, that 100 defensive rating. But the offensive rating goes up to 117.2. So they are playing at a crazy level. As a point of reference, the Warriors starting five in 2016 had a plus 13.2 net rating. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> As a point of reference. But the like the, the thing is like you're you're talking about a starting lineup that does have an average age below 22 doing this sort of thing and there's still room for growth like you can see Evan Mobley's adding stuff to his offensive game every single night uh I, Isaac Okoro playing a whole lot better over love the seeing la- him put it on the floor and go into contact loving to see that the, there was a play um against Miami where he caught it on the perimeter quick dribble and he took a pull-up mid-range shot that that was basically contested and it was so fluid it was so assertive you can tell he's getting healthier and as there's less focus on him as there's more talent around him he's making much much more of an impact and the nice thing too is the three-pointer starting to fall he's taking three threes a game over the last six games shooting it at uh 38.9 percent that's like you don't need him to be an offensive dynamo his defense is so good and it works so well with those guys if he's at least uh making the defense respect him and he can do that pull-up game because the guys are closing out closing out or he can continue to get to the rim and draw fouls at at a great rate like he, he just looks more explosive now and you can start to see what the vision is with these guys all working together no question no question you just mentioned it too when you have the threat of that perimeter shot in the corner you go baseline that he's quick. Like right. he's real quick when he puts it on the floor and he has a head of steam. If his body's in control, like he can really get to the rim. So that's very helpful. And you know, you mentioned it already, but like, I, I just love seeing him put it on the floor and going into contact instead of going away from contact. Yes. Um, You know, like it, it seemed like at times um, at the beginning of the season, like he just was kind of, I don't want to say afraid, but he was just kind of not, being as aggressive as we've seen him, especially like the decision making was slower, right? Like the ball mm-hmm. would get to him and you'd almost like see the buffering symbol come up. <laughs> yes. But I'm glad you mentioned the pull up though. Cause I definitely uh, saw that. And if, if that's an easier shot for him and it look make, makes a better look for him, then I mean, by all means, absolutely. And don't forget too. I mean, we already just talked about Darius for a while, but like these guys are learning to play off of Darius now. And I think Isaac is also kind of getting that, synergy a little bit same with Lowry and all these guys um because once once the defense starts crowding Darius and Jarrett then the options open up Mm -hmm. and and the interesting thing too like 
One thing I, I'm curious because no, uh, for those that don't know, Keeping 94, fantastic podcast covering uh, the NBA as a whole. Uh, really, really enjoy listening to you on there, Spencer. But, you know, you're, you're focused on the league as a whole, not just the Cleveland Cavaliers. And one of the things that I'm really noticing this year is it's it feels like it's the return of the regular season mattering, right? Like you have these matchups, these repeat matchups like uh, Warrior Suns that became a appointment television, uh, Bulls Knicks uh, appointment television. Like there's all these matchups that really, really matter. And you look at the Eastern Conference, there are 11 teams with a 500 or better record. The standings are so tight and all of these games matter. So when we're getting excited about like this early season success, it's because it really matters. You can't afford to fall behind, especially with this new play in format. Teams are trying harder than ever to get up into that sixth seed and to get out of the play in. It really feels like in addition to the influx of talent and the increased parity, the presence of the play-in really does seem to put more of an emphasis on the regular season. And you're seeing marquee matchups in the first half of the year when before, historically speaking, people didn't really tune in to the NBA until football season was over. No, for sure. And I think that it's just a, it's a it's a better product right now because I think there's a little bit more physicality. I think that the refs are letting a little bit more stuff go, maybe a little hand check here yeah. or there, maybe not the freedom of movement stuff that drove everybody nuts in the past. Like it seems like they're kind of toning that back a little. Yep. Obviously the foul baiting is gone uh for the most part. So that the Easter conference just getting better overall in the offseason, I think helps too. Uh just for you mentioned it, the parody, the it's incredible, man. I mean, you just look at one through really one through 13 and no one's out of it there in yeah. the East, even though, you know, Indiana's seven games under 500 and yeah, they're not playing great. Um, but like, that's crazy. Cause if you look at the West and you look at how many below 500 teams, almost half the teams in the, the West are below 500. Yeah. Like it's a kind of a little bit of a, a, a switcheroo in a way. No kidding. But I, I think that, yeah, you can't, fall behind in the east right now because everybody's coming for you and there's some teams that you have to take advantage of being down and out too um as far as like injuries go like you look at miami they just lost bam for a significant amount of time and jimmy's kind of been in and out of the lineup with some injuries um charlotte you know, hornets are going to be missing Lamelo, uh terry rozier Plumley yeah. with uh covid protocols like there's it's yeah, and it's another reason to not take stretches like this for granted because we still are living in a, a fairly uncertain time. We we don't know uh, when guys are going to be in and out of the lineup, but it's just nice to see that the Cavs have already handled a fair bit of adversity. But you gotta capitalize on all these opportunities. Um, I, I know Tankathon has it that the Cavs have the easiest schedule uh, remaining uh, for the rest, uh, which makes sense. Given it what makes a lot of through. sense considering the way the season started. You look at that and you're like, oh no, it might be a rough start to the year. And here you are sitting three games above 500. Ban- banking it's, wins it's already. Yeah, it's incredible. Like- I, I mean, in order for them to hit the over on their Vegas over under, they have to go 14 and 45 the rest of the way. Like it's unbelievable. You, you know, like that. I, I think that's a, a relatively safe bet, but. And the, Vegas is still not respecting them too. remember. They're not favored. They're not favored very often. And you know what? I don't necessarily blame them because they are playing teams ahead of them in the standings every single night. A lot of those games coming on the road and they're still like 
outright winning and not only outright winning blowing those teams out like there is garbage times in those games and and like i understand miami missing bam and jimmy butler Cavs missing sexton and jetty they're not exactly on the same caliber of those guys but that doesn't necessarily equate to like a 40 point lead against the miami heat in miami right like that's or dallas a really well coached team Uh, not Dallas, uh, but Miami is a really well-coached team uh, that, that has, a, a, like, in my opinion, the best coach in the league uh, that, that you know, like, capitalizes on, on uh, taking advantage of young teams, young players. Uh, Kyle Lowry is a player like that. So uh, what they're doing is really, really impressive. And I, I really think the strength of the league, too, like, I think we're entering a new era where a lot of the old guard, they're coming to the end of the line uh lebron's probably not the best player in the league anymore um it, you can tell like the the lakers just flat out aren't good um brooklyn isn't as good as we expected because Kyrie's not playing and james harden's looking a little older too but you look at the league even the worst teams in the league have a ton of young talent that's exciting like detroit's got k they got sadiq bay they uh killian hay is not really working out but you know they, they've got guys there orlando has a handful half a dozen guys really worth caring about okc josh giddy uh western conference uh rookie of the month uh shea gilgis alexander's fantastic lou dort's great houston's got a bunch of young guys new orleans got young guys uh, and it's another great draft so I think we're entering an era where there's going to be more parity than ever. The competition to even make that play in, like it's great that the league expanded to the play in because now there's 10 worthy teams in each conference, in my opinion, which has never been the case uh, in my entire ta- time being a fan. No, yeah. And it's a good thing to see for the league too. Cause then you just get that kind of interest. Um, I did laugh because you mentioned OKC, and we know what happened this week to the to the poor Thunder uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies. You know that seventy three point defeat. And, but, am I a bad Cavs fan for like rooting for that? Because I, I know the Cavs were the previous record holder. It was for the, the Lakers game. Block. I remember being in that one, not at that one, but seeing it. Sorry. Pardon me. No, no. the The biggest Cavs win was over the Miami Heat in nineteen ninety one. It was like sixty. Oh, I thought you were talking about that. loss loss total. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the the Cavs had the record for the biggest blowout win. That was the Mark Price, Brad Doherty years. Correct. Over the Miami Heat. And I was born that year. So I feel like, you know what, like I, I, I didn't really hold that record in high esteem. I mean, it sucks from a franchise standpoint to lose that. Who knows? Maybe uh, th- this young core will uh, get that back someday. Um, but you know what? I, I was rooting for history, although I do have a conspiracy theory on that game. Spencer, oh, give me it. I think this is all a campaign to get Josh Giddy rookie of the year because they know his impact and uh, the stats aren't going to beat Evan Mobley. So they're like, you know what? Josh Giddy sits out this game. We are going to lose by 73 points. We are going to lose. We are going to go down by 80 points and act like he's the difference. We're going to get Shea Gilgis Alexander in the all-star game by sitting him. And we're going to get Josh Giddy rookie of the year. I, I think it's a conspiracy Spencer. We'll see if that we'll, we'll we'll see if that comes true. I don't know about all that though. I don't know about all. That. I don't know if I buy it. Look at this journalistic integrity and no, no speculation. Just all facts, all sources. I'm the nah. boring reporter. Okay. This is why they call you Spin Man. What, what what can I say? Has your opinion of 
uh, both Kobe Altman and JB Bickerstaff evolved with what you've seen this season? Because I, I think you and I, um, we've agreed a, a fair bit when it comes to this rebuild and, and having confidence in what the Cavs were doing, but they really kind of stuck to a vision no matter what the skepticism was and it's been paying off has seen it kind of come to fruition changed your evaluation on how you feel about them or is your confidence level basically where where it's always been well i didn't know that it would come in in the the wins losses column the way it has but i i, I don't think anyone always... did i don't think they did like let, let's be honest no it'd be unreasonable to expect this kind of success this early on given the schedule yes absolutely and I, I always kind of had, you know, a belief in, in this system because everyone's on the same page. The Cavs yeah. haven't had everyone on the same page like this. I can't even say it happened in the championship years. I don't know the last time someone was on the same page top down, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, it was going to take some bumps and bruises. You needed multiple years of drafting to do this. Mm-hmm. But how many times have I come on this podcast and say the Cavs drafted at number five, the Cavs drafted at number five, they drafted at number eight. Oh, look at that. They got a top three pick. Look what happens. A little lottery luck. Mm-hmm. And you put yourself in position to have someone to build around and someone to build with, with your previous picks. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because all these people that were coming after Kobe for all of these years, talking about how he can't draft and make moves. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) He stole Jarrett Allen. He drafted Darius Garland. He also drafted Kevin Porter jr. One of the most, uh, you know, exciting young players in the league playing in Houston right now. Yeah. That situation didn't work out, but you can't knock him for the draft there. Right. You know, from a talent evaluation standpoint, absolutely. Yeah, getting Colin Sexton at number eight, where that was, you know, a 20-something point per game score. Yep. I think his draft history is clean as a whistle. Mm-hmm. And and now you look at this this time around and all of them developing together. And yeah, Isaac Okoro hasn't been the, you know, that type of impact that you thought, but kind of doesn't need to be when you have all of these people contributing. And, and also you have to take into context the strength of that draft class, right? Like it, it be behind him out of guys that are really performing. It's Tyrese Halliburton, who's a guard and, and doesn't address needs uh, that the Cavs have in the way that Okoro can. But Denny of Diaz taking time. Uh, Killian Hayes has, hasn't panned out. Like it, it was the, the an, an analysis of that draft class was that it was a weak class or it was a class at the very least that would take some time, which I, I think we're seeing with Okoro. But the interesting thing to me is the narrative around the Cavs has always been there's pressure from the top. They're going to rush everything. They're going to take shortcuts. Like they, they're going to make panic moves. And for the most part, like you look at the players they drafted, Sexton, Raw, Darius Garland was coming off a a meniscus injury in college, right? Uh, He had surgery uh, for his meniscus and was going to take some time. Isaac Okoro was going to take some time, even though there was the quote-unquote win-now player available in Obi Toppin. Uh, People were saying Jalen Suggs was the more win-now player uh, versus Evan Mobley, who was going to take some time. And of of course, Mobley's been the only one that hasn't needed time, but they've trusted their evaluation that, yeah, these guys might not be ready day one, game one, and there's going to be questions uh, as these guys develop. But we have enough confidence in our training staff, in, in our ability to develop players, that we're just going to take who we believe to be the best talents available and trust in our vision, trust in the system, trust in the, the player development that we have, that these guys eventually down the line are going to pan out 
And so far, it's looking like that is the case. And it takes patience. That, like, you have to preach that when you're undergoing a facelift the way the Cavs had. And, you know, Kobe got the ball rolling in that second half of the season in 2018. Or t- 2000 and yes, 2017, 18, the last year the LeBron was there. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, those players aren't on the team anymore, but they were used in other ways to acquire the talent that you're seeing now. I yeah. think that, you know, you look back at what the trades were uh, during his, you know, tenure and the picks, the, you know, the players that they acquired all, it's all one big web. Like if you look back at it and like, mm-hmm. it, it, it goes back to the Kyrie Irving trade too. Now you see what the return on the Kyrie Irving trade is. And I know you could probably play this game with everybody because everything leads somewhere, but you look at the return for the Kyrie trade now and the players that were used <laughs> for that. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It truly is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they've done a, an excellent job. They've stuck to the plan through thick and thin. And there's been a lot of thick, uh, I mean, just dating back to the last year when they had that 10 game losing streak, 11 game losing streak, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's paying off and there's, again, there's buy-in that they've, they've kept throughout all of this. And, uh, it's fun to watch. Just fun to watch. Yeah. The interesting dynamic too, with the league being deeper with, um, top pre- prospects being drafted to teams that have other young, interesting players. I'm really interested to see what effect that has on player movement, team building, stuff like that. Cause it seems like this new generation of players, they're coming in, they're getting drafted. Like John Morant goes to Memphis and he's like, I want to put Memphis on the map. Like I, I'm invested in this community. I've got Jaron Jackson Jr. here. I've got a team that even when I miss time goes out and wins. Um, you, you look at the quote unquote bottom feeders in the league right now. They have really, really good talent, as I said earlier but they're going to be drafting in another great draft class this upcoming year. And those teams are going to be up and coming and coming for the Cavs. Like it's so competitive and I'm really interested to see what effect that's going to have on player movement. And from that standpoint, I'm, I'm interested to see how things play out with the Cavs because you look at Garland, Okoro, Mobley and Allen, all of those guys had previous connections uh, through Team Team USA with Kobe Altman. Uh, they had relationships off the court before joining the Cavs. You're seeing them develop relationships together. Uh, Colin, I think I forgot to mention Colin Sexton, another example of a, a guy that fits that description. Um, Evan Mobley, LA area guy that grew up rooting for the Thunder. Uh, Okoro, uh, Garland, like going to these SEC schools, like nearby, like loyal, loyal guys. I'm interested to see. I Nothing's guaranteed. You don't know how this is going to play out. But when guys are getting drafted to situations where they've are already playing with their friends uh, off the court or playing with guys that they have relationships with, you don't have to leave to Miami to, to team up with your buddies when you're already drafted to a team that has them. So I'm interested to see what that dynamic is with the Cavs because you know it it does as players get older and they uh, earn larger contracts it's tough to keep guys together but I'm really interested to see what the depth of these young teams and just how much talent they have on these rosters what impact that has on player movement because it's not just a Cavs thing like if I'm looking at the league as a whole there's a lot of really really good up-and-coming teams that the Cavs are going to have to compete against in the coming years. No question, and I, I like the subtweet in the middle of the uh, middle of the podcast there uh, for a certain <laughs> person that went to South Beach. But you know, when you're talking about this, and I'm thinking, 
last time that a team was organically put together this way, you know, obviously outside of Lowry Markin and Ricky Rubio getting traded for, but the, 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 the core, mm-hmm. I am thinking golden state, you know, like I yeah. am thinking about that because that took numerous years to put together and to kind of congregate. Um, that and we is, don't know if it's going to thought. hit that. It's we don't know if it's going to hit that ninety nine percentile outcome and whatnot, right? Like oh, we're 100%, we're, yeah. we're just but from uh, one of the like comparables there is they drafted guys that all fit together really well, right? Like they developed together, they enjoyed playing together, they fit well and complemented each other's strengths and covered each other's weaknesses. And I, I think that is a similarity with this core, like Isaac Okoro. He doesn't look as overmatched when everyone else is healthy because the guys around him cover for his weak areas and he helps accentuate their strengths when he's playing with them. Uh, Colin Sexton, like he he was fitting in really, really well. And I, I think I am seeing a little bit of a shift because people are saying, look at this winning streak. They're better without Colin Sexton. So unfair. Uh, Those narratives are starting, which let's, all right, if you want to do the correlation and not really put some thought into the causation, the three-game winning streak against really good teams on the road has come with the three games that Jetty Osmond missed. Do you feel Jetty Osmond was the one holding them back? And now that he's out of the lineup, that's why they're beating these good teams? No, it's a young team that's playing well and playing better. They were playing really well with Colin Sexton, but at the same time, Darius Garland was coming off of a, a little bit of an injury. Okoro got banged up. They, they were missing guys, right? And they were still winning games there. So I I, I think it's unfair to, to put that on, Colin. Obviously, guys' numbers are going to go up as they have to eat some of those shots, but he was really fitting in well he wasn't stopping the ball and I, I think it's unfair to instead of just kind of uh giving praise to the growth of these players and stepping up when there was a need for them to step up to instead put the blame on someone else I I, I it just it rubs me the wrong way and I, I don't think it's looking at the facts of how this historically has worked for this team yeah and that's just the preconceived notions thing it's like once you decide how you feel about a player you're opinion right. is not going to change you know that's just what that is i i saw colin completely buying in from day one they knew they were going to play different they knew it wasn't going to be individual ball you got to go out and get us a bucket every possession down yeah did they do that sometimes yeah because you have to do that in the nba you have to have rescue possessions every once in a while that's how yeah. jordan clarkson has a career yeah so, I, I mean ricky rubio has been attempting to be that guy for the Cavs often right like right. where it's and, and he's not exactly finishing well but you know somebody has to take that shot someone has to like try to manufacture against a, a set defense exactly but what you were seeing from colin this year was a lot of the off ball cutting was a lot of the slashing was a lot of the pull-up threes and the catch shoot threes mm-hmm. so he was changing his game i don't want to hear that nonsense about he's been the same player over and over again and the because defense he was, was buying too. in. Yeah, he was buying in. And yes, on the ball, absolutely on the ball. He was great defensively. Um, so I, I hate that too. It rubs me the wrong way. Um, I'm curious to see what happens this summer. We, we, we need to start a campaign where we're blaming Jetty Osman. Uh, the, the, the last three games have solidified it. <laughs> well, that, you know, this is just a bunch of nonsense. You know, what yeah. else is new? <laughs> what else is new? But hey, I, I did want to kind of dig in because we didn't we talked offense, 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 but with this defense, mm-hmm. I, I just kind of want to get your opinion on what is making this churn because the the reason they're doing so well on offense is because they're getting stops, 
Uh, they're forcing turnovers, obviously blocking shots because they've got Tower City. Yeah. Uh, but out on the perimeter, I feel like sometimes when they're they're funneling them in, like a lot of these teams, when they start to get towards the basket and get a little momentum, they're just petrified to try a shot and they force it around, force it around. Mm-hmm. I think Bradley Beal had two 24 second shot clock violations last night because of that. Like <laughs> they, they have those two down there. So yes, the perimeter defense has been outstanding because obviously Okoro fits in great with that. But yeah. like, even when they're getting beat, like they're forcing teams to, to pass it around, pass it around or else they get really, really nervous. Yeah, and I think some credit definitely has to go to J.B. Bickerstaff because, and and the rest of the coaching staff as a whole because I think one thing that's consistent, even with guys in and out of the lineup, is everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing. So even in instances where they don't do that, you are seeing them holding each other accountable, they're communicating, and they are making adjustments throughout the game. And obviously, Evan Mobley, when he's in, he takes the defense to another level. Like it, it opens he up. He covers a ridiculous amount of ground, man. Right. He, <laughs> like... he, he contests the most shots in the league. I, I think he's fifth in contesting three pointers as a big man. Like that's absurd. Obviously, he takes it to another level, but it is a team effort defensively. And there's a level of buy in that I, I think is really, really admirable. Um, be, because, like, Again, you do not see this level of buy-in. You don't see this level of accountability within a team. And dare I say, culture, uh, to, to go out there <laughs> as Spencer rolls his eyes. I, I, we're not going to go full heat culture, I promise you that. But, you know, there there is a culture of accountability. There's a culture of, if you're going out there, we want you to compete defensively. Like, you might still make mistakes. You're going to make gambles. I mean, Laurie and Garland gamble a fair bit Evan Mobley um, he's able to recover from some of his missteps and, and kind of when he overhelps or whatever like his, I love when link. he baits guys he baits guys sometimes he'll he'll let him beat him and then he'll just come out of nowhere and swat him <laughs> right but like the, he he recovers well but like he makes mistakes but they're always like looking to hold each other accountable they're trying to do better the next possession and I, I think that that's a really really healthy place for this to be it's just it's it's really, really admirable, and I, I think a lot of credit for the preparation and, and just the the understanding of what everyone's assignment needs to be needs to be assigned to the coaching staff. I would agree. I would absolutely agree. Um, I, I still, you bring up Mobley. I still love when they put out that version of the zone when they have him up top. The the KG in Minnesota the, zone yeah, I defense. Think a, I think it's a one three one. If I it, it's a yeah. it's a three two. I, I think it's it a 3-2 three, two two. zone with uh, Mobley at the top of it. Okay, gotcha. No, yeah, but when, when he's at the top, that's just so funny. Because yeah. they, they just have guys waiting for you. Like, it's so unique. Like, we came into this season thinking, what are they going to do? Start Lowry marketing at the three? And they've been doing it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wrote an article. Just absolutely, I didn't kill him, but I was just like, uh, okay, so you have how many minutes for the four and the five? With right. Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, Lowry Markinen, and Kevin Love, like, and, and what, what I thought do? was going, what I thought was going to happen is you tell Kevin Love he's playing fifteen to twenty minutes a night, and all of a sudden, like, maybe Sulk. you, 
you try yeah. it for a little bit, but maybe it's a JR Drummond situation where it's, hey, like we understand that you might deserve more opportunity than you're going than than you have right now, but we're going in a different direction, right? We're doing a youth movement. Laurie's going to eat up all those minutes at the four or five, kind of splitting with Allen and Mobley. Like I thought that that's what the vision was. And we talked about the gambles that were made, the confidence in JB Bickerstaff to say, hey, you know what? I, I saw something, I've seen something in practice, I've seen something in preseason. I'm going to do something unconventional and I'm going to find ways to make this work. I, I think that deserves a lot of credit because I mean, once again, it's another example of the Cavs having confidence in the plan that they've put forward. And no matter how much skepticism was out there, well, which I, I think some was unfair, some was very warranted. Um, they, they stuck with it and, and it's paying dividends. No question. And I, I think, you know, back to the love point that, he just looks like he's enjoying it. He looks like he's enjoying it. And obviously, win cures all. Mm-hmm. But you just look at his production, and obviously, you know how important he is on the defensive glass. Um, he's even crashing offensive glass. You, you're seeing him move a little bit now. You're getting down to the low post. I love when he's playing they get his butt off. He, he's, he's back to great. basket, and he finds either a cutter or he finds someone with a bullet pass on the other side of the floor. Like him and Ricky together. It's funny, too, because him and Ricky together, you know, the vets of the team, that's the bench juice you're getting. Right. Like, it's usually the opposite. You know, you mm-hmm. get the juice from the young guys, but it's the young guys that are in the starting five, and it's the the uh, the, the so-called old guys and the vets that are off the bench giving them that extra boost. And veteran forward Jetty Osmond playing well, too. Veteran. The, the, the interesting thing is, with Love playing this way, it's playing his way into options for, for the Cavs, which I, I think is a really interesting point because, I, I mean, right now, like, it's very easy for me as a fan to get sentimental immediately when I see Kevin Love. I'm like, you know what? Like, a lot of the kind of endings for the guys on the 2016 team were not the greatest, right? Like, it didn't, you know, when you break up a championship team, it's almost always messy. You know, no matter what the situation is, no matter what team you're talking about, it's almost always messy. So for him to have kind of a happy ending in Cleveland would, would be a real fantastic storyline from my perspective. But I also expect the team to be a little more calculating, right? Like they're they're looking at the long term. They're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Has the early season success of the Cavs overall, uh, and Kevin Love in particular, changed your opinion on how they should approach the rest of the season, because they may be approached at the deadline now and say, okay, we feel confident that we're a playoff team. So that might change our willingness to give up our first round pick. We may have offers for Kevin Love now, which we we weren't sure if that's going to happen, but he's providing a really steady presence off the bench. Has your opinion of how they should approach the rest of the season evolved based off this early season success? Well, you got to do it for another month and a half or so yeah. before you kind of get that conclusion. Mm-hmm. I would say I'm always in the the party of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> um, I don't think giving up a pick would be smart because you just never know. Mm-hmm. Um, the the if, if you get an offer for, for Kevin, yes, you have to listen because this is a – dude who has had a contract that people thought was virtually untradeable mm-hmm. but at the same time there is what only two years left on that deal yeah. including this one uh you know it's 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 depreciating you you also think about because 
when the Cavs traded for Ricky Rubio, the automatic thought was, okay, he's probably going to be, you know, a cup of coffee. Yeah. Gone, so, gone at the deadline. Yeah. What do you do there? Because these vets mean so much, not, not just on the floor, but off the floor. Like mm-hmm. that's also part why I think this success is here. Cause you brought in Ricky Rubio. You have a reinvigorated Kevin Love. Ed Davis, J.B. Bickerstaff talked like crazy, crazy good <laughs> stuff about him as far as them, like they had to have Ed Davis in this locker room. You know, like these are vets they haven't had for the majority of like the last three, four years. Yeah. And they're dependable vets. They're vets that they know what their role is. They're not going to try and supersede the development of the kids. You know, like that's important. So Mm -hmm. if you get rid of one or two of those, I don't see how that's a positive effect on this team, but maybe it has also rubbed off on them already that it wouldn't matter. But at the same time, I'm in the camp of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if you get an offer or something, you obviously have to listen. I think the most realistic of all of those would be a Kevin Love one because of how much they were trying to to move him, mm-hmm. knowing that both parties knew if they played well, that they'd get what they want. Right. You know, so that that aspect I would I would think so. Rubio, I don't know. If it netted you a first, maybe you do it. But mm-hmm. I, I just I think taking Ricky away would be a big mistake, but Pangos was definitely the backup plan for that situation though, to have a backup point guard, but right. Personally, when it, when it comes to Ricky Rubio, like I I would like to retain him. Um, I, I, a first round pick isn't that attractive to me because I mean, you can only develop semi young. He's still semi young. Well, and and you can also only develop so many young players at a time, right? Like, and you've got, the Houston second round pick, which might be the 31st pick in the draft. Maybe you you draft uh, a bit of a specialist there and take a gamble on someone that might be a, a rotation player. But you can only develop so many guys at a time. And you've got Garland, Sexton, Okoro, Mobley, Allen, Laurie, all under 25 that, that you're putting a lot of effort into developing. And the the real interesting thing, too, is I feel like the the way that they've played has kind of made it so that they don't need to make a gamble at the trade deadline, right? Like you don't have to take a swing on a guy like a Ben Simmons to, you know, bring it to respectability to kind of, you know, um, breathe some life into this rebuild because the guys you already have are doing it. So I, I, and when it comes to the role that the veterans play, I, I don't think you can take that for granted. And I wouldn't look to kind of mess with the chemistry right now. Like, yeah, you can maybe bring in someone that's more talented, but is giving them those reps and getting a couple more wins this season more beneficial to the long term than maybe giving those reps to Isaac Okoro or, or, or some of these other young guys that you're invested in? Now, when you're doing that calculus, the answer might be yes. There may be opportunities that come along where you say, okay, we didn't expect this player to hit the market. This is a unique opportunity we're going to capitalize on it. When it comes to Kevin Love, you you might all of a sudden have an opportunity where there's a wing that you can flip him for. You move Laurie to kind of the, the role that you expected, uh, or it opens up cap space in the summer, and you have to make a calculated decision here. But uh, I do think making sure that you always do have those veterans present, making sure that you have those voices in the locker room 
isn't something that you should take for granted just because the young guys are playing well, right? Like their development is not going to be linear. There's going to be tough times. God, there's tough possessions. There's tough stretches within these games where you see veterans like Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio calming down the bench, giving those, uh, giving them instructions. And that's not something that I, I think should ever be taken for granted. You have to evaluate every single situation as it comes up. But, you know, like, I, I wouldn't make a move just for the sake of making one. Like, I, I don't feel like that's something that's necessary for this season. No, and it's it's not a game of 2K, guys. Like, you mm-hmm. can't just say, okay, we're going to go out and get Cam Reddish uh, for one of these, you know, vets. And yeah. it, I mean, if Jalen Brown good, you know, like, or, or Brandon Ingram hits the market, yeah. like, get really aggressive. Go, go nuts. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, absolutely. If you can add uh, someone like that to the... I'm just going to start saying it now, you know, mark it down, folks, mark it down in your uh, your podcast history. I'm going to go start calling them the big three now. Uh, if you can add one of those guys to the big three, absolutely go out and do it. But I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be making a move just for the sake of making a move. Like, I think it has to fit in with the long term plan. And you have to weigh both sides of those things, which thank God I'm not the one making those decisions because I am a far too emotional person. It's very difficult. But if you can kill two burns with one stone, that'd be the most ideal. Like if mm-hmm. you've got a veteran that can produce and that's a wing. That fits with the timeline. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a tricky calculation, but I, I think this is what you hope for, right? Like you hope that everyone plays well and plays their way into you having options, right? Like it's, I, I think that that's a, a really positive place for this to be. I'm probably I'm probably more open to moving that first round pick. Although the tricky thing is any way to make salary matching work involves including someone that is playing a prominent role on this team. Like there, there's just not a lot of bad money. Uh, Carter made this point on the last podcast. Like there's not like the Brandon Knight contract or, or the John Henson contract that you can throw into these deals. You're talking about guys like Ricky Rubio, Kevin Love, Jetty Osmond uh, that are playing real prominent roles. So it, it is going to be a really, really tough calculus, but I'm also fine with just a small little move on the margins or uh, basically standing pat this season and and figuring out what you have. Because reality is when you're talking about a team this young, you're not trying to win a championship this season. Like you are building for the future still, and you're still taking that long-term view, even though the immediate is paying dividends. You're, you're taking an approach to where you're building on the fly, but you also have the long-term in in mind. Exactly. that is what teams in this position have to do. I mean, look at what Atlanta did, you know, like they had all their organic growth and then they decided to go out and get a Danilo Gallinari. They ended up trying to trade for a, you know, a Bogdan Bogdanovich. Like they added to their core. Like I feel mm-hmm. like the Cavs are on the same, same plane in a, in a way, you know, like even Charlotte, I think Charlotte's another good example too. They had all the guys that they drafted and then added Gordon Hayward to the mix, you yep. know, like, Something like that. Like, I could see that happening in due time. Mm-hmm. But right now, yeah, there's no reason to force the hand. Unless yeah. you can go out and get, like, a Karis LeVert or something. Or, like, <laughs> or, or Lonnie Walker or something. You know, right. like, you say, move, move on the margins, you know? Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, I mean, when you're no longer 
in a position of quote unquote desperation, if you want to call it that, where you feel like you really need to go out and make a move because the present isn't working out when you're not in that situation and you just got guys playing well, the vibes are good. You can, um, you can take your time figuring out what becomes available, right? Because as much as people say, Oh, I, you, you can go add this archetype of player, that player actually needs to become available, right? Like even when, uh, like I'll circle back to the Jared Allen conversation where people are like, yo, you can get like a replacement level big for less. You don't, there's no replacement level, big store. You, there's no just generic, uh, whatever seven foot center that you can sign for a certain amount of money. Like those players, you actually have to have names. That player actually has to be, uh, unrestricted free agent. You actually have to have the cap space to do that. Like it, I, I think there's a level of GM worship that gets a little weird where everyone wants to be an armchair GM instead of they don't want to be like Mike. They want to be like Daryl. And and that's a really weird change uh, when it comes to kind of the fan mentality. But, you know, those players actually have to become available. Those opportunities actually have to present themselves before you can make a move. No question. I think <laughs> is Daryl Morey going to get a Gary commercial now? <laughs> is that how it's gonna work? <laughs> You're telling me he doesn't it. already have one? Come on, man! Hey, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Might be able to get that? a McDonald's one. I was gonna say too. I would just a disclaimer. Like I'm just throwing these names out here. I hope no one takes anything from this conversation. Because oh, it's already been aggregated. Like you're not checking Twitter, but uh, not I've, good. Not good. I've, I've had Carter in hiding in this chat, just aggregating <laughs> everything you've been saying this entire podcast, <laughs> and. You know what? You're about to have a rough day at the office, Spencer. That's all I got to say. Hey, hey, let's make it even worse. Uh, you know, Pascal Siakam apparently <laughs> might be on the block. So why, why, why don't the Cavs go out and get Pascal Siakam, put him at the two? <laughs> you know, you'd be pretty big. <laughs> I was pretty, just about to, I was just long, about to make big. a joke about how is Pascal Siakam going to get playing time? Like, you know, Mobley, Laurie, all these guys. <laughs> what? Jared Allen, uh, you know, I, I I don't know. Speaking fits of the big timeline, men, fits the timeline. Speaking of big men, I I'm really excited for this Utah game. I wish I'd be able to watch it live. Uh, I've got the Western Conference Finals here that I will be attending uh, in Winnipeg tomorrow, so I, I'll have to watch that game later. But do do you think Utah is going to be really confused when they see seven footers that can defend in space? It is. Oh, I see what you did there. I was <laughs> just about to give you a real answer. And you just totally went, oh, my gosh. I'm not going to even say that. <laughs> are, are they just going to sit there with their mouths wide open like, they can do that? Oh, see, now you taking shots right there. That's bad karma for the wine and gold right there. It, you know what? That's bad karma. I'm going to push back on that because I've been taking shots my entire time doing podcasting. And during that time, we have had highs. We have had lows. We've had finals appearances. Um, you know what? I'm just going to keep being me because I'm keeping things consistent. So if you don't want to come down to my level, Spencer, that's perfectly fine. But I am going to continue to bring that consistency to this here podcast. And I keep it 94. Okay. That's, uh, that's, that's what I do. Ooh, look at that professional <laughs> plug. Nicely done. Spencer Davies. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's a lot of fun to have you back on. Well, I'm sure we'll do it again this season. Um, you know what? These next two games, they're going to be tough. Utah Jazz and uh, Milwaukee Bucks back to back. But with Chicago. the Chicago Wednesday, 
too. Chicago West, Chicago is going to be a big one. That's going to be a big, big kind of a measuring stick. Measuring I'm, stick. Yeah. I'm, I'm more excited for that game than these next two. I, I, if the Cavs can steal one of these two, I'll feel great. If they get both, uh, I'm going to be through the moon and we're going to be irresponsible as hell on Tuesday's podcast. we got a great podcast actually coming up Tuesday. Uh, Carter will be back and we got Dave Dufour of The Athletic. Uh, so for those that have stuck around this late in the podcast, I, I'm learning that people don't stick around for the end of the podcast. Little plug, little, uh, little, uh, just so you know, coming up uh, <laughs> on Tuesday. That'll that'll be a lot of fun, and uh, also the return of us going live. There you go. There you go, baby. Uh, Spencer, before I get you out of here, anything you want to plug? Yeah, uh, basketballnews.com. We just had some really solid exclusive interviews. Uh, so. First, we had Thaddeus Young, who was on the Alex Kennedy podcast, who was Free talking basically, basically talking about that. Like he mm-hmm. was extremely candid about being blindsided by the Bulls trade and you know the role in San Antonio. While he's being a professional and being a good guy, he's like it's not ideal. So mm-hmm. uh, there, there are a couple pieces that Alex Kennedy wrote on that one. Etan Thomas had Markel Fultz on his podcast. First time we've really heard what, he, what about the shot. Like he's yeah. He's openly talking about what happened with his shoulder and what happened with his jump shot. And that thing's got to go, go viral because great interview with the ton on his podcast, the rematch and uh, Evan Sidery, our, our guy in Phoenix actually got Christoph's Porzingis one-on-one too. So those are three one-on-one interviews we got this week. And next week for your boy here, uh, I just had a phone conversation with Scoot Henderson, 17 year old phenom. Oh my God. Has he been good? Oh my smokes. Yeah, no. in. 17 years old i told him i was like my little brother's literally a year younger than you this is really weird (laughs) but uh that interview will be coming out next week i'm excited to put that one together uh and we've been mentioning it all all day but uh keep it at 94 subscribe on spotify apple podcasts stitcher wherever you listen to them leave a comment like rate review subscribe do all that fun stuff Hell yeah, man. I'm going to check out that Fultz podcast uh, this afternoon. That sounds interesting as hell. I, I totally missed that. So the Q&A, sure- the Q&A is transcribed. You don't even have to listen. The Q&A is oh! transcribed on the, on the site. Even better. You know what I like to do? Read. No, I, I'm listening. Don't. <laughs> I'm completely illiterate. It is what it is. Spencer, thank you so much for coming on. And a big thanks to our listeners as well. If you want to support the podcast, the best way to do so is by leaving a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Downs exclusive Discord chat, you can send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. And until next time, go Caps.